This episode is sponsored by Interactive Brokers, and I want to tell you about Interactive Brokers' simple IBKR global trader app, which makes investing in stocks and options easy. Invest in stocks and options worldwide and access cryptocurrencies all on a single unified platform. And you could use fractional shares to invest in the stocks you want, regardless of the price, and put even small cash amounts to work. You can scan the globe for undervalued stocks and identify new investment opportunities by comparing global stocks in the same currency. Plus, make deposits in up to 27 different currencies and automatically convert into the currency you need. And the best part? Enjoy zero commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs with no inactivity fees or account minimums. Put the world in the palm of your hand. Start investing today at ibkr.com slash global trader. That's ibkr.com slash global trader. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Markets are digesting the impacts of a government shutdown. Moody's warns U.S. about its credit rating. Stocks stick to the program. Seasonal trends hold and wondering... Are strikes the new inflationary thorn? All this and much more on episode number 836 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. It is the end of September, thank goodness. I mean, the last couple of months when you calculate what's gone on between August and September have been pretty ugly when it comes to equities and bonds, more so bonds than anything else. Hey, before we get going, Andrew Horowitz here. Thanks for joining me as always. Uh, we're going to have a, an interesting, compact show today, focusing a little bit on what's going on and why, because a lot of people have been writing like, you know, what's the story? with regard to these government shutdowns. And should I be concerned? Should I be worried? I thought we'd get down to this. We did once before a discussion like this when it came to the, the debt ceiling. And the debt ceiling was something that caused a lot of consternation and imbalances in the markets and things got crazy. And we saw that the ratings agencies got involved and it was, it was the whole thing was a mess. It wasn't good. But we spent time on a show dissecting exactly what was involved with a a debt you know ceiling collapse uh a, a limitation on how much could be spent what was going to happen and essentially very similar to where we are now in the debt debt ceiling um, a problem which we don't have right because we have an unlimited debt ceiling for the next year or so I think November 2024 is the date that the debt ceiling will in fact, start coming back into play. But right now, it's an unlimited amount of money that can be spent. The problem is we can't reach a budget. And the budget problem, once again, is funding. And funding, once again, is going to lead to what we have is a government shutdown. And it all revolves around the same basic principles. I mean, there's some other issues that are going on. 
But the core of all this is politics. That is the core of everything that's going on right now. And when we look at really what's happening, we have to understand that these politicians, for whatever reason, cannot do what one of their basic tasks, which is come up with a balanced budget of what spending and revenues are to make sure the company that we call the United States government, right, the, the economy of the government of the United States is in fact a business. And I'm sure you'd agree with me that if it was in fact just a business, they would have been bankrupt and they would have been closed down a long time ago. The one big difference is why this business can sustain through all sorts of economic hardship and strife and all sorts of problems is that they have a bank that has an unlimited amount of funding. They can just create money out of thin air. We know that. We've seen it. What do you call it? Quantitative easing or printing of money. You know, the old money printing press is what we used to call it. Now it's called quantitative easing, this really fancy word for printing money. <laughs> That's all it is, right? You take your money out of your left pocket, you say you can put it in the right pocket, and now I got double the money. Or better yet, the modern day version is, let's just put on the spreadsheet that the available money in the United States in circulation in terms of not real cash, but money that we have is this amount now. And we could utilize that to go buy bonds from the United States and swap it around and do all sorts of fun things. Just create money. No wonder why we have inflation. I don't think that's a, that's a, I, I, I can't imagine if that's a surprise to anybody that the money printing that has gone on over the years where we've seen, if you look at the price of houses and cars and eggs and bread and anything related to consumer spending and, and just anything else really has gone up exponentially over the last 25 years. Where we used to be concerned about millions when we talked about how much the government was spending. And if you've heard me talk about this before, I'll mention it again just for, for the sake of the discussion. I recall very vividly when there was a stimulus package that was coming out by President George Bush, the son, I believe it was, this, yeah, it was like $200 million. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Now stimulus, if it's not in the hundreds of billions of dollars, if not trillions, and how many years are we talking about since George W. Bush was president? And think about the escalation. There hasn't been that much of a population growth. No, that's not it. It's not like if we were going to give every single person in the United States uh, $1,000, and now all of a sudden, you know, there's an extra uh, 200 million people here. That's not what it is. What we've done is we have effectively pushed ourselves into a corner. We've effectively had an inflationary trend that's been going on for years because the monetary debasement, particularly over the last 20 years, with what has gone on after the financial crisis. And after the financial crisis, what we saw was that, that the Fed had been in, in, a, in a program of quantitative easing, one way or another, money printing and spending by the government, spending by the agencies is just incredible. There was no one that would ever say no to anything until we get to where we are here. So now we are in a situation where once again, the budget doesn't align and the spending issues and the spending cuts and the right and the hard right and the left and the hard left. And they're just being trounced by each other. 
not allowing for any kind of deal to get through. So the stock market itself is falling, right? We've seen that this month, the, uh, well, we're not going to talk about August, but in September, which is usually a pretty soft month. I've talked about this right at the beginning of August, that August, you remember me saying this, August and September are going to be squirrely. I said that. Now, did I know it was going to be up or down? I knew it was going to be volatile, move around, and usually there is seasonal weakness. So we're sticking by the playbook when it comes to the seasonal weakness issue and, you know, with regard to the uh, the stock market. But really, when we start to see the escalation and increase in bond yields, like we've seen recently, the parabolic move over the last, let's say, month in yields, especially on the 10-year, and the inversion of the curve getting so much deeper and getting the long bond getting trounced. You know, Bill Ackman very accurately said, you know, uh, we are going to be short the long bond. We see that there is going to be a real problem and a real weakness in the long bond. That means that, of course, as yields go up, we see that bond prices come down. So he's short of the bond itself, the bond price. And if you look at TLT as an example, a really good example of uh, the 20-plus-year Treasury ETF, that particular instrument is down substantially for a bond ETF. Not only last year, put that out, but you know what, over the last two months. So that's been a real winner for Ackman. But what is happening is that there is a new pricing model that's coming into play here when it comes to equities, even though there's a lot of optimism surrounding things like AI and earnings coming up, even though... The latest earnings estimates are once again flat to down for next quarter. Coming into the year, there was a thought that the first two quarters will be soft. The third quarter, fourth quarter are going to be pretty good when it comes to earnings overall. That's including all the powerhouses that are out there. What is happening, though, is quite different. All of a sudden, we're starting to see that there is a significant amount of overall uh, trend change from analysts. And that probably has to do with the, the way that they're calculating their earnings estimates moving forward. Now, when I say that, what I'm talking about is the utilization of a, uh, of a risk-free rate of return. So when there is a calculation done and a forward or a future value calculation on what's called a discounted cash flow or discounted dividend model, you have to use what is known as a risk-free rate of return in there to say, what what is it going to be worth? It's part of the calculation. And when, to, to make it really easy, not to spin your head around and get all caught up in, in, in the calculus here, when you have a risk-free rate of return that is very low, the outward look for the value of that calculation is higher, meaning that it's supportive of a higher stock price. It's higher, it's supportive of a higher valuation. And when you have a higher valuation, obviously, people in this case are willing to pay more because what are also the alternatives? When you change that and you increase the risk-free rate of return, the future value calculation of those discounted cash flows becomes lower. Meaning, just to put in plain English, that the outward price projection of the valuation of a stock is less. So, again, keeping it simple, when we have a situation where we have 
uh, a higher interest rate, and it is going higher dramatically on a two-year or 10-year, and depending on what you want to use for a risk-free rate of return, but it's usually oftentimes either a two or 10-year, but let's call it the two for a minute. Even so, it's, it, it, it's 500 basis points more than it was a year and a half ago. That has to affect the valuation models that analysts are using, and no wonder we're getting the forward estimates that are less. Now, why is that? You may say, well, why does it matter? Again, there's alternatives. Why would you be in a highly risky asset if you're going to earn, let's say, 10%, where you have an alternative of 5%, or that same risky asset is much more attractive if it's a zero interest rate environment because there's nowhere you can put your money. So you might as well take the risk to get the return. The differential, though, that 5% spread, the 10% potential return on a stock versus 5% on a risk-free, now you're only getting 5% and you can potentially have losses. The risk-return trade-off in that circumstance is not as good. So what's going on now with regard to a couple of things? One, the Fed being much more hawkish than they were at the at the last rate increase meeting. That's number one. And number two, the other issue, the other issue, which is this potential for a government shutdown, a standoff, taking it to the wire. And, um, you know, what happens leading up to it is really what I want to discuss, not after the fact for a second, because leading up to it, there's a concern. The concern is about what happens after it. And, and, and government shutdowns have happened before. You know, what you're going to see is, and what we know is that they happen and then they resolve. And people get all upset and concerned and then they resolve. But there's a lot of reasons why there are these concerns. Um, the first one, I think, when we look at the... The, the issue regarding, well, what's going to happen with my job? For those people that have economic disruption, right, a loss of wages, or, you know, they, they have a concern that, um, you know, I may be out of a job permanently, right? But but loss of wages on the individual level is, is, the, is the first and foremost. Now, depending on who you are, you will probably get um, furloughed for a period of time, right? Federal employees, contractors. Your first... You may have to work without pay during a shutdown. I mean, it sounds crazy. Now, that during that period of the shutdown, depending on how long it lasts, causes a big problem for you and your family. Now, if that's the case, the good news is, on the back end, you usually get paid back all the unearned income. But, but still, that doesn't help you through the few weeks where you still have to pay your... You know, government shutdowns and say, okay, you know, don't, don't pay your mortgage. Don't pay your car payment. Don't worry about any of that. That's not how it works. Business interruptions. You have uh, private businesses, right, that rely on government contracts or federal customers that experience disruptions. And, 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 and generally, the whole point of a shutdown that's the biggest problem overall is the economic uncertainty, right, that, well, what's going to happen? And in this particular circumstance as I mentioned at the top of the show, Moody's has already come out and said, look, you know, we're the last holdout here of the big rating agencies. And if in fact 
there is a government shutdown, we're probably going to take that as more evidence that the government just does not have their act together and probably downgrade. And that will permanently put a scar until it's resolved on bonds not being as high quality and then trickle down into other areas like the banking, financials, and bonds of companies, et cetera. Because all bonds will actually have a significant amount of overall um, uh, uh, rate drop, right? Because it's underneath U.S. Any company or municipality or uh, bond issuer that is subordinated to U.S. government debt is going to actually have to think about, well, I'm probably going to have to pay higher rates. So so in in return, we say that rates are going to go higher. And why the rates up until uh, the end of the month, so probably two, three weeks into heading into the end of the month, why we saw that tick higher for rates is, is because the concern of a government shutdown and because of a Moody's downgrade and because of, who knows if S&P or Fitch are going to downgrade as well. But the big issue is that now that government debt of the United States isn't the stalwart, isn't the the, the highest quality piece of paper that you can buy, which is AAA. We're going to get back to that in a second. I want to talk about some of the, the add-on and knock-on effects that really is involved with all this. Before we do that, I want to talk once again about, I want to talk about interactive brokers because interactive brokers clients earn up to 4.83% on their uninvested, instantly available USD cash balances. In fact, you need to ask yourself, how much interest is your broker able to pay you? Interactive brokers' prudent and conservative risk management uniquely positions IBKR to pay you far higher interest. And that's just one of the many reasons clients use interactive brokers to trade stocks, options, futures, currencies, bonds, funds, and more. Rates, of course, are subject to change. Visit ibkr.com slash interest rates to learn more. Now, getting back to this whole discussion of who gets hurt, where are the problems? Let's think of some of them. You have non-essential government functions and services, national parks, museums. Um, you have some research areas, maybe potentially uh, temporary close. And that, again, furloughs the government workers in, in addition or in, in uh, coordination with. You have other things that are a big concern, right? Now, where does this, where does this fall on you? I don't know. Maybe you're getting some kind of pension from the government. Maybe uh, you're on disability. Maybe you're a veteran, you get benefits there. How about food assistance programs? Housing vouchers. Um, what else do we have in there? Social security benefits. This, these are really big issues. And the, the biggest issue, obviously, is the concern that money is not going to flow. Because it can't. Right? There's a shutdown... And there's a budget issue, and there's possibly some issues that that are in there. And but but you, you, maybe maybe they'll do something like, hey, you know what? It's a government shutdown, but we're going to still pay Social Security or veterans benefits, or keep this open or that open. But but this is the big concern, and why again, a lot of things heading into it are there's all this just nervousness that goes into it. Um. Just all sorts of different areas get hit, like in the public health area and regulatory and 
uh, food safety things, aviation, um, emergency services, FEMA. I mean, there's a lot of things that really could be impacted. That's bad. But it plays out even more impactfully with the uh, with with a bigger bigger a much bigger picture issue and that is that whatever particular trust we had or have and good feelings that we had or have and respect and support of the governmental body itself the process the confidence the the full faith of the United States credit and our ability to believe all that is diminished. When we have these kinds of situations, it seem to be happening more regularly, but it's just a little bit more ornery. They've happened in the past plenty of times. The problem you have here, though, is that there is a select group of people. That's our problem that are ramrodding their ideals and ideas and the political spectrum of what is going on just really significantly troubling. The small group of outliers that are essentially um, taking the, the entire governmental, the scope of government as hostage to get their way is a big problem. But you know what? They figured out how to do it. That's the bottom line. So kudos to them in a way, but oh my God, I don't want to be a part of this, right? I mean, you got you to gotta say from a chess standpoint, ah, pretty good strategy there. On the other hand, you're like, you know what? But I don't want to play chess with an, with an exploding pawn. The, the partisanship that's gone on right now, and this is not a political issue I'm really talking about. I'm talking about really the economic Result of all this. That's what my biggest concern is. It's really not saying, oh, the Republicans or the Democrats or the, 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 you know, this party or that party or this group or that. That's not what I'm talking about. It's the bigger issue that is, is, is it really at stake here? It is the, the full faith and credit of the United States government, the ability for those that have a dollar bill in their hand believe that that dollar bill will be tendered from a government that is in such array, disarray. And government shutdowns, the way they're being presented in this particular case, again, erodes the trust of the public in that institution. And that institution is the economic backbone of what we talk about here all the time. Everything is based on the confidence in the system. And the confidence in the system being eroded, whether it is directly with the stock market itself or in this case, really, the bond market because we're focused in on the Treasury and the ability for the United States government to pay. That's where this all comes into play and that's what is going on and trickling down into the stock market. So with that, let's take a second. Let's just take a moment and recognize it will be over. And yes, when it gets over, all the talking heads are going to be like, look, it was temporary, it's meaningless, and stocks will pop back right back up. Eh, it's, it's possible. We're entering into a seasonally 
beneficial period for the markets. And uh, that's a good thing. Now, depending on how long it takes to get governments act, you know, the governments act together in general, there'll be stop gaps, there'll be some payments, there'll be things. And, um, you know, my bet is that it, it won't be a very long, if we get to there, it's not going to be a very long process because everybody knows at the end of the day that, you know, their pensions are also at risk and their pocketbook is also at risk. Maybe some people don't care. I don't know. But, but the, the government shutdowns, you know, they last for a while, they're painful throughout, and then they're over. And we're going to put a pin in that for a second. I'm going to take a right turn. I'm going to mention, and I'm going to come back to this. My bigger issue is, is what's going on with the strikes. The strikes are something that really have me very concerned with the long-term uh, outlook. Let's put a pin in that, turn the page back, and go back to government Shutdowns for a second, but, you know, you have also things like, you know, internationally, what do we look like? We look like idiots. I mean, the, the reputation of the United States is on the line on a regular basis here. And we're starting to look like, you know, a, a, a third world, irregular, Ill, irregular, poorly run country in disarray, unable to balance our books. It's really kind of unbelievable. And the other problem is this poses a problem for international, the international community because you have things like um, potential for uh, disruptions in governmental functions, customs and immigration, things like that, um, international trade, just all sorts of problems of that. So, you know, not only is this a financial market issue, it's a reputational issue. Not only is this about bonds, it leaks over to the stock market. Not only is it about what the government's going to spend, but it's also about what you and I, depending on where we are in our, in our jobs, how we may be affected. And it creates stress. It's, an, it's a period of time that is, that is uh, it's fraught with anxiety. And it doesn't really matter necessarily if you're a federal worker or you have your own store, because there is an impact somehow, somewhere in all of this to each one of us. So th there's a lot of negativity that is brought upon this. And that's why markets, while they have gone through this from the initial stages of, okay, oh my God, maybe we'll have a shutdown to, hey, we have a shutdown to two weeks into it saying, oh, this is awful to, okay, we're resolved. And, and, and back again, and, and, and no worse for wear really in the long haul, except for the disruptions, the, the, the after effects of that, which, which again, get resolved. Uh, the, the, the interim problem with pay, but that gets resolved. My biggest issue is the reputational uh, smack that the United States takes and how we have, in a lot of ways, become... Um, less than we have been from an economic standpoint um, and, and, a, and, a, and a safety standpoint over the last, you know, 20 years. A lot of that is because the Fed has really put the reputation on the line with all the excess bond issuance and uh, quantitative easing that they've done.
So here we are, end of the quarter, end of the month, uh, into a, again, a seasonally, seasonably more bullish, more constructive season. And uh, seeing that earnings estimates are starting to come down, interest rates are high. Big question is, where do you go? So one of the things that we've done for our clients is uh, we've been consistently looking at and utilizing alternative investments. They, they, they come in many shapes and sizes, but they don't have to be complicated. They can be complicated. You know, you can get some that are pretty complicated, whether it's private equity um, or hedge funds, uh, but but base or, or or even some other type of trading mechanisms. One of the things that also is really interesting is that they come in ETFs and they come in mutual funds. And alternatives give us, initially when we start looking at these, the 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 ability to diversify outside the sphere of what is. The normal, I would say the normal investable assets that people utilize, which is very much uh, cash, real estate, bonds, and stocks, right? Did I miss something? Stocks, bonds, and commodities. Let's throw commodities in there to a degree. Although commodities sometimes can be also considered to be alternatives. But we have a um, we have this this idea that well, if we could find alternatives, which is things like fund to funds or those that are outside the normal activity, whether it's credit arbitrage or it's options, um, options trading or maybe commodities trading or uh, long short or headline driven or you know pick your poison what it may be. And if we could either utilize that directly or through a mutual fund or through uh, maybe a fund of funds in a mutual fund, which that, which which highlights several different management styles all in one particular fund, that's a pretty cool thing. So that's something to consider because at first we utilize this as a, as a cash alternative. When cash was yielding zero, and we have, let's say, in a portfolio, a desire to have some cash and liquidity. And we have, let's let's just, just use a number, 5 8% cash in a portfolio. And it's earning zero. It's like, oh, that stinks. Where are we going with that? So what we do is we look for you know ways to find um, other assets that can be less volatile than stocks or bonds. And really... Broaden out the diversification. So that's where alternatives came in. Anyway, the reason I bring it up is because I had a long conversation for one of our alternatives uh, managers this week. Well, last week. It was last week. Yeah, last week. And and I, I thought, it, you know, as I was thinking about it and I was going through it and as I, I initially was looking to reduce down the position because cash now yields 5%, I started adjusting my thought about, well, you know what? We can still have some cash in the portfolio with a good yield and include and incorporate the uh, these as well, right? C continue to have the opportunity to include alternatives in the portfolio because that is probably a smart idea, particularly in the case of where we are right now. Just just one of the aspects of, of our thinking. We went through this, this whole discussion with the managers, uh, what they're doing, and it happens to be um, a focused on very... Um, interesting commodity, oil, bond, uh, metals, trading uh, through algorithmic 
uh, trading program. It's very, very interesting. Very, very fascinating. But good track record, uh, low volatility, which is exactly what we want in this particular slot. When you're looking at your portfolio, make sure something we talked about a hundred times, particularly now we're talking about it again because you're probably seeing some leakage in your portfolio. You know, it's fine. We have a 3% month that went up, but 3% month on the way down hurts somehow, even though we're just back to where we were, right? So look at your portfolio, look at your circumstance to where you are right now and think about where are the holes? Where are you over in an area and you have too much allocated and what is the place that you don't have a good allocation for. Something to think about. All right, now I just want to bring up the strikes. I, I, I've been thinking about this. The idea that it seems like this is a contagious economic power play. And why I say that is, it seems that there's a, all of a sudden this threat of strikes. is starting to feel it underneath the surface bubbling up. You know what? If we don't get more money from you and squeeze you because you, the management of the company, are making so much money and we are having, a, as the employee, having a hard time making ends meet, we need to keep up with the cost of living. Therefore, we need a wage hike. And not only a cost of living wage hike, we need something substantial. We need big big. And I started thinking about this, particularly when I started looking at some of the recent uh, strikes that were proposed and realized that the idea of increasing the wage to keep up with the cost of living is only going to circle back in an increase in the cost of living. The reason there's an increase in the cost of living is that people have more money and are willing to spend more money. And you may say, well, that's not true. The fact is that things cost money. I don't have a choice. Well, of course you have a choice. Now, do you have a choice? You're not going to have water or food? No, obviously not. But you have a choice of what you're going to spend and how you're going to spend it. You're like, no, I'm used to really high quality this or that. Well, you can spend down. Look, Shrinkflation's real. The companies recognize it. Instead of giving a 12-ounce XYZ drink, there's maybe a 10-ounce they're giving you. They are willing to cut the quantity. Why aren't you willing to cut the cost? Now, you may say, well, wait a second. If we do that, that's bad for the economy. Well, no kidding. But what's bad for the economy, in a way, is something that we need to address. And that is that the economy needs to slow. And one way or another, this economy is going to slow. Whether it's going to be because of the excess amount of cost that people just can't pay, or the Fed is going to force that to happen some way or another. Whether it's going to be because the wages aren't keeping up, or if wages do keep up, the Fed may stamp this all down. One way or another, Things slow down. There's a saying that says the, the best cure for higher commodity prices is higher commodity prices. And what we're seeing right now is a um, significant amount of, uh, of, 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 of higher prices that is rolling through the economy in different stages. 
We saw the food inflation happen. Now we have the oil or the crude, um, the, the gasoline and, and energy uh, inflation that we're seeing right now. Um, we've seen that overall housing inflation over the years. I mean, it's, it's creeping through the economy. Meanwhile, we saw that the NEHB uh, a week or so ago came down. That's the business confidence. We saw that new home sales dipped significantly. We see that mortgage applications and new mortgages are the lowest since whenever. Because right now it's like 7.5% for a 30-year. And people just don't want to spend that money. The cost factors to buy a house, a $300,000 house, if you had a 4% mortgage where interest was just uh, about 1000 a month, is three times that amount now, or two, two and a half times that amount now. So the cost factors of buying a house and the inability for people to move, by the way, is something real. But the strikes, while if you're a union believer and if you are on strike and if you are someone who, who thinks they should earn more money, more power to you. Go get it. But let's all recognize that higher wages, and, and we all want, I want you to have higher wages. Let's just get this straight. I want you to have the most wages ever. I want you to make more money than anybody else in the world. But en masse, when we have higher wages, we have higher inflation that will come down the, the pike. That's just how it works. And, uh, you know, that ends up being a full circle and full cycle situation when it comes to the economy from peak to trough and back to, um, to peak to trough again. Everything is cyclical. We talked about this a thousand times on this show. Everything is cyclical. So that's what I got. Let's see how this all plays out. My uh, feeling is that some of the uh, areas are getting a little bit oversold right now. Uh, we lightened up on our hedge positions in our TDI managed growth strategy uh, just this week and uh, took a nice uh, piece off the table of that. That was uh, that worked out really well in the small caps. Uh, looking like some of the banks are, are have been under a lot of pressure, and small caps really felt the brunt of that over the last, I would say, three weeks or four weeks in particular. And the opportunity now is uh, for things to stabilize and the Fed to get out of the way a little bit, especially if if there's going to be um, you know any kind of uh, lack of uh, or reputational slam due to an inability of the government to get their act together, or even if. Even if they do get their act together, uh, you know, this is this is uh, something that is, is going to uh, be, I think, difficult for us to get out of. Uh, AAAs are not coming back too fast for S&P and, and Fitch. That's all we got for this show. I want to uh, thank you for joining me this week and every week. And um, I, uh, I will be back next week with a great guest. We have some great guests. We just booked a behavioral uh, finance expert for actually all the way out to December. Uh, but over the next few weeks, we have some Fed uh, watchers. We have uh, some small cap uh, plays that we're going to talk about. We have, uh, of course, last week and the last number of weeks, we talked about oil, commodities, things like that. I mean, we, we're really covering the entire gamut to give you a great education in the area of finance. So thank you for joining me this week and every week, and I'll see you again real soon. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results, and a loss of original capital may occur. 
No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.